Today's scripture reading is taken from the New Testament book of Titus, chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, oh, sorry, so whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish uh, controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I am excited to, to bring the word uh, to you this morning. My name is Brent, if you've not met me yet. And I'm going to invite you now to pray with me as we begin to look at the word of God that was read. Uh, Father, we, uh, we do, we come to you. Um, what just thankfulness that you are such a good God that you save people like us who are so needy. Lord, that uh, people like us who, who were in the thick of our, our sin, Lord, when you turn towards us in kindness and in love. Lord, I pray that you would encourage us with this passage, that you would spur us on towards love and good deeds because of the goodness that you have already shown to us in Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So New Year's sermons in churches are the sorts of sermons where the pastors inevitably wax eloquence about resolutions or resolution-y things. And, and I just want to tell you, I'm not going to do that this morning other than say the word resolution because that's enough. I'm going to say the word resolution. You're going to have all those things in your mind that you associate with resolutions. And I'm just going to say this. This is my point. Christ City, the good news of the gospel is that we have something so much better and so much more powerful than a new day and a new year to change our lives. The good news of the gospel is that we have something more powerful than the transition from 2021 to 2022 to change our lives. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have a good God who's graciously and mercifully loved us in the mess of our sin. A good God who's poured out the Holy Spirit into our lives and has begun changing us. Actually transforming our lives and making us new by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We have a good and merciful God who has given us the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ. That one day soon he will return and we'll be with him forever in a world without sin and suffering and death. There's no better, there's no better message than this one. So this morning, rather than talk about strategies that we could lean on for better lives in 2022, you know, 10 ways to live a better life this year as Christians, we're not going to do any of that. What we're going to do is we're going to immerse ourselves in the gospel message about Jesus. Because that and that alone is the thing that we need to be focusing on time and again for true transformation that comes by the grace of God. Our text is Titus chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. And in this text, we will see three things. First, a reminder to live Christianly. Second, we'll see the reason to live Christianly. And then third, we'll see the center of Christian life. Before we jump in, I want to give you a little bit of context because when we're reading the Bible, we want to understand the Bible. And I hope you guys are starting some things in in the new year, maybe like reading through the Bible again, uh, maybe for the first time reading through it uh, this year. I would encourage you to do that. Um, But one of the things that we must do when we come to the Bible is understand that, that when we read it, we need to pay attention to context. We need to understand the context that it was written in, the context of what's going on in the passage to try to understand what the text itself is saying us, what God is saying to us through that text. So this context is that we are literally reading someone else's mail this morning. Someone else's mail. It's the Apostle Paul. This this apostle commissioned by Jesus to be sent out to begin churches throughout the Gentile world. Um, He was the one that was sent in particular to those that are not Jewish to go and to start churches far and wide and to tell them about Jesus. And this apostle Paul, he had a young disciple and his name was Titus, probably a man in his thirties. And Titus was a leader in the church. And Paul in this letter is instructing Titus, it's a letter to Titus. He's instructing Titus to bring order to the church on Cyprus by setting up leaders called elders who would protect the church from false doctrine, who would instruct the church about what it means to actually live as followers of Jesus together according to the word of God. This is what Paul is doing in this letter. It's why he's writing to Titus. And he begins by instructing instructing Titus to remind them how they should live. And in this context, what he's writing about in, in our passage this morning is some of the most succinct and beautiful words in the whole of the Bible about what God has done for us in Jesus. This is what he begins to instruct Titus. He says, now I want you to remind them about these things. So he begins with our first point, a reminder to live Christianly in verses one and two. You can look at them with me. Paul says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. And Paul tells Titus simply to remind these Christians of these things because they'd heard them already. They'd already heard the words of the gospel and and what the, the words of the gospel meant for us as Christians and how it ought to shape our lives. And he says, remind them of these things. And he's writing these words, not to people who were the majority religion in their day. He's writing to Christians who were the minority culture in the Roman world. And in this ancient world, being a Christian, it wasn't something that earned you accolades. 
it earned you opposition. It was a difficult thing to be a Christian at that time. These Christians, they knew what it felt like to have governments treat them unfairly, to be misunderstood by family and friends, to be maligned by their neighbors because they were followers of Jesus. Famously, the early church was often accused of being cannibalistic because in the, the world around, they'd heard something about the Lord's Supper. And now they thought these people were these deviants and these evil folks who were gathering together in this way. They're misunderstood and they were maligned for being Christians. To be Christian in the ancient world was difficult. But in this context, I think Paul's instructions are a little different than we'd expect. Paul doesn't urge these Christians to protect themselves and to get back at their enemies. Paul reminds them what it looks like to live Christianly, what it looks like to live like Jesus. Even when they face opposition from friends and family and neighbors. And Paul writes first, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. See, Paul's speaking about obedience to governing authorities in the ancient world. And it's surprising to us, I think. I think it's not what we would expect in this context, because these are certainly not Christian governments. We might ask the question, well, what if their rights were in jeopardy, Brant? Or what if the government wasn't doing what they wanted? That doesn't seem to be Paul's chief concern. His concern is that they love their enemies. His concern is that they love their enemies, beginning by being submissive to the government and the authorities that have been placed in their lives. Why? Why would Paul do that? Why would he remind these Christians these things? Because the kingdom of God, the kingdom that God is building through his church, is not a political kingdom. It's not a kingdom of this world dependent on the politics of this world for its growth. It doesn't depend upon governments or revolutions or getting what you want from your representatives to grow. It's not how the kingdom of God works. No, the kingdom of God depends rather on the character of Jesus who loved his enemies being formed in the hearts of his people. It grows when people living in the sinful and broken world are changed by the love of God to live good and humble lives towards those around them because of the gospel. And one of the ways, of course, to live a good and humble life as followers of Jesus is to show love and respect and obedience to one's government to show a willingness to obey, to be model citizens, to represent in kindness the goodness of what God is doing in the hearts of his people. And of course, we could add a little addendum to that. We could say, yes, but Brent, clearly not to things that are unbiblical. And yes, that's true. You know, we're never called to submit to a government in ways that are unbiblical. But Paul's point here is this characteristic of obedience and humility and submission for the sake of the gospel. But there's more to living Christianly than this. Because the second thing Paul says is, be ready for every good work. Paul's talking about an eagerness and a readiness to do concrete good in our cities. And the eagerness and a readiness to do concrete good in our cities is supremely Christian. After all, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 5, verse 16, he said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Saying, live in such a way, doing concrete good things that people can actually see so that they give glory to God for what he's doing in your lives. What are these good works? 
Well, throughout Scripture, the works that are constantly praised and encouraged and commanded by God are works of mercy and of justice, of kindness, and of love. It's what God has always wanted from his people. And God spoke these words, for example, to the prophet Isaiah, to his ancient people, and they're full of these sorts of things. You can read Isaiah chapter 58, verses 68 with me, 6 to 8 with me. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to, break every, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear God. Rear, rear, rear guard. <laughs> and by the way, it was by doing works like these the church grew in the ancient world. There's this famous story where um, the emperor Julian the Apostate in the fourth century, we call him the Apostate now because he was a Christian, but he, he veered away from Christianity and embraced his pagan roots as a Roman uh, really, really hard and furiously and, and tried to, to change Rome towards paganism against Christianity because of what was happening in Christianity and how Christianity was advancing at the time. And he famously writes a couple of different letters you can still see um, today where he's rebuking his own people for not behaving justly and kindly like the Christians. He's like, they're putting us to shame. They're caring for all these poor and vulnerable and broken people. We need to do more like them. He's not even aware of the ways that he's even speaking Christianly by saying that. This love, this care for others that only comes through Jesus Christ. But third, there's more to being Christian in this world and to behaving Christianly now. And Paul says this, he says, speak evil of no one. We need to hear those words this morning. Speak evil of no one. How can Christians live faithfully and Christianly like Jesus, even when they face opposition? It's by speaking differently than the world speaks around them. Speaking evil of no one. If you think back over the last couple of years, if you look at uh, different political social media feeds, perhaps, or maybe you just look online or you watch the news or you've just been uh, awake at all and you've observed things, you know that this is not the way that the world speaks. That We're prone to speak evil of people in this world, to be slanderous, to tell half-truths with a malignant intention in our hearts to dwell on the negative, to maybe hyperbolize or take that little bit that we see and talk about it in the worst light and to, to bring that forward and to talk about those around us that way. Christ City, this is not the way of Jesus. And the word of God says, speak evil of no one. And fourth, Paul writes, avoid quarreling. See, in this world that is full of arguments and disputes, Christians are to be peacemakers, not quarrelers. You see what Jesus taught us in Matthew 5, verse 9. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the quarrelers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. See, we'll be distinctly seen as sons of the Father, as like our heavenly Father, when we make peace, not division. When we stop our quarrels and our arguments. 
And fifth, Paul says, be gentle. This word for gentle, it communicates the idea of forbearance or of being tolerant. And the thing about tolerance or forbearance is that you can't forbear and you can't tolerate things that you already like. It only works when you have to tolerate and forbear things that you don't like. If you have a roommate this morning, if you're married this morning, you know what tolerance and forbearance is. Or you can think about maybe an ungracious house guest as exactly the opposite of tolerance and forbearance. You know, they come in, they make their home in your home and they're just insisting on everything going exactly the way. You know what? This water's not the right temperature. Take it back, put it in the fridge, bring it, you know, I want a few degrees cooler. Thank you very much. And they're insisting again and again and again on having everything go exactly their way according to their preferences. And Paul says, that's not how we're to be in this world. As Christians, we are to be tolerant and forbearing, gracious to those around us who aren't yet Christians. And last, Paul says, as he's instructing them and reminding them of what it means to live Christian like Jesus in this world where those around us don't yet know him. He says, show perfect courtesy toward all people. Notice the emphasis, perfect courtesy towards some people. You're seeing if you're awake still. Towards all people. And Paul's not stupid, right? He, he knows what the people Titus was pastoring in Cyprus were going through. He knows the opposition and the hardship they faced. And he doubles down on those words. Perfect courtesy to all people, to everyone. I don't care about the way that your neighbor doesn't like you. Perfect courtesy toward all people. See, the bottom line about living Christianly is this. It isn't angry and complaining Christians who demonstrate the power of God in this city and towards their neighbors. It isn't angry, complaining Christians who do that. It's Christians who live the power of God's spirit and kindness and love, especially towards their enemies. And there's a profound reason for this. Look at our second point with me. The reason to live Christianly in verses three to seven. Paul says, this is why. Because we ourselves were once foolish and disobedient and led astray. We ourselves were slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, the reason that we're to live obedient, forbearing lives full of good to those around us, especially towards those who don't like us, is because this is exactly how, how Jesus treated us when we hated him. This is how God has treated us when we were still sinners. Before we loved him, before we served him, before our lives had changed at all, God was merciful and loving and generous and kind to you and to me. 
Look at how Paul describes what we're like before God saved us. I, I mean, I'm not going to apologize for these words, but it's not a pretty portrait. Verse three, for we ourselves are once foolish and disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Paul starts, he says, we're foolish. You were foolish before God intervened in your life. You didn't have God's guidance or his counsel or his truth through his word at work in your life. And you often made foolish decisions. I know how easy it is to look at those around you in this world who are making foolish decisions, whose lives seem to run again and again counter to the grain of the universe, right? And they're getting slivers as they just persist in things that are, that are awful and are going to hurt them. And we can look at them with frustration and judgment. But Christ City, we used to be the same. We were the same. Second, Paul says we were disobedient. As we've seen to live Christianly is to live submissively towards those and authorities in our lives. But we used to be disobedient as well. To all the authorities in our lives, we would rebel against them and press against them, just like Paul says here. Third, we were once led astray. It's characteristic of Christians now to live accordance to the truth of God's word. Right? To stand firm according to the word of God. That's what characterizes the lives of Christians. That we are faithful to God despite what everyone else is doing around us. And yet, we used to be led astray. To be led astray is to go along with peer pressure. It's to be carried along with violently whiplashing public opinion. It's to be influenced by Instagram fads and the mercurial spirit of the age. And we too were once led astray. And fourth, Paul says, we were once slaves to our passions and our pleasures. It's powerful imagery, isn't it? To be a slave to your passions and your pleasures. Nobody looks at a slave and says, look, this nice little slave over here is fully in control of his or her life. No, a slave is somebody who's not in control of his or her life. We were slaves to our passions and to our pleasures. We think we're in control, but we're actually slaves to desires that control us. Desires for sex and for food and for wealth and for power, for revenge. And it's not us who's in control, but them. You see, human beings are naturally enslaved by our desires. And ancient wisdom understood this. There's a Stoic philosopher named Epictetus. And he's not a Christian, but he once famously wrote, no man is free who is not a master of himself. He understood that, that there's a slavery that, that's at the root in, in our hearts that we're trying to be free. And that was all that Stoicism was about, was to try and master your desires. Good luck without the gospel of Jesus. And the ancient wisdom of the Bible agreed, because in the Proverbs, we read these words. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit, then he who takes a city, a self-control, this freedom from the mastery of our desires. Before God and his kindness saved us, we too were slaves of our passions and our desires. Just as much as anyone around you that you might be inclined to be judgmental towards for their lack of self-control. We were the same. And fifth, Paul says we would pass our days in malice and envy. 
He's talking about the sort of jealousy and the comparison that we see around us all day long, every day, every day. Again, if you haven't seen this lately, please get a Facebook account, get, get a Twitter account and you can, you can date me. I am in my thirties, you know, like Facebook and Instagram are not cool or super popular anymore. I, I realize that, or just get into whatever relevant social media platform the kids are into these days. And you'll watch the envy and the comparison in spades. And if you don't do that, there's another option. Just read the conversations your kids have been having on their social media platforms. Or just watch one political party deride another. Or look at the workplace and notice how competition and jealousy keep people from celebrating one another's wins. As we're full of malice and envy. This is who we once were as well. And six, Paul caps off this unflattering portrait. Thanks, Paul. It's definitely not the slimming, skinny mirror. This is a very fat mirror, um, making things look accurate, but, but hard for us. He finishes it up by saying, we were hated by others and hating one another. Mutual hatred. Hating and being hated. We've both been in each place. And it's offensive to us, I think, to read these words, if we're really honest. I think it's offensive to us, especially if we're in Canada. Because you know what characterizes Canadians? Is this, this niceness. Uh, almost a, a, a tentative niceness that is afraid to speak the truth to somebody. Especially honestly like this. But Paul's not trying to be cruel. Paul in love is reminding us of the truth of who we were before Jesus precisely to show us how good God's infinite grace and mercy and kindness is to us. To remind us what he's done through the goodness of the gospel. Look at verses four to seven again. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, clearly, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know, it's pretty easy for me to forget all of this. I'm constantly the kind of person that likes to think that I'm pretty good. Right? I think of myself like the, the, the kitten in the SPCA. Like I, I was the cute one that somehow got the attention of my adoptive family. You know, like the reason, that, the reason God chose me is that I had it pretty good. Uh, I was better than my, my, my sibling kittens, all of you guys. And, and I think that that makes me feel justified to be so judgmental towards others. Right? I think that I'm, I'm better than those around me and I become mean-spirited. But that's just not who I am. It's not an accurate picture according to the word of God. Because according to the word of God, I had no part in saving me. It was God alone in his goodness who saved me. And that's amazing because it puts all of the glory and all of the praise and all of the thanksgiving where it belongs with God in his goodness and his love and his mercy. So we worship and exalt him and not ourselves. 
See, Paul says that it was when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. That's when he saved us. The words Paul's using here in Greek, this goodness and loving kindness, these are rich words. Paul wants us to see that God is a God that loves the humanity he created. He loves the humanity he created and intends to save and to bless us. And he did beginning on that first Christmas day when God himself became human and was born in the manger. He came to save us. He saved us. Just in case we aren't getting the point, Paul says in Titus 3, 5, not because of works done by us in righteousness. <laughs> Again, not because you deserved it, but because of his rich mercy. And how did he save us? Well, he tells us by making us new. By taking all that we are in our sinfulness and filling it instead with his own life. You see, friends, if you are a mess this morning, if you know that you're a mess, if you long to be freed from habits and patterns that are just so destructive, things about yourself that you hate, that continually lead you nowhere good, there's good news for you in this passage. Because God in his mercy saves sinners. And he changes them powerfully by giving them his Holy Spirit. Look at what Paul says in 3, 5 to 6. He saved us by the washing of regeneration. To regenerate something, is to, to make it new, to give it new life. Like the passage of scripture we already read this morning about the new birth. To be made a new sort of human. The washing of regeneration and renewal to be made new by the Holy Spirit. God doesn't give us a little bit of the Holy Spirit. It says, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. See, God is a God who saves sinful and broken people by flooding our sinful selves with his life. You know, I'm somebody that loves to stand underneath waterfalls. And when I think of this passage, I think of waterfalls. Some of you have been with me to some of the local waterfalls in the hometown that I grew up in an hour east of here. And I loved it to go underneath those waterfalls and just feel the weight and the power of the, the overwhelming water rushing over my body. And clearly it's not Niagara, right? Like I died there. You know, these are, these are, these are mission-sized waterfalls. And I love to go to these places. And it reminds me of the way that, that God in the same way is like a waterfall of life rushing over us in his salvation. And he overwhelms us powerfully with the life of his Holy Spirit to change us, to make us new. He makes us new, Christ City. He is presently at work in your lives, making you new. And I have the privilege as one of your pastors of seeing it. So Jesus Christ came to this earth and he lived the righteous life you and I have not. He died the death you and I deserve for our sins. He was raised to life by the power of the Holy Spirit and he now pours out on his church his Holy Spirit so we'll be washed and regenerated and made new by his own life. There's good news here. No matter what you're enslaved to, there's hope and you can be freed. 
You don't have to be weighed down by your guilt and your shame. You can be washed and cleansed, forgiven, welcomed by God as his child. See, he's a God who saves. He's been doing it for a millennia. It's why we gather here at an awkward time change at 9.30 in the morning on the day when the roads are full of slush and rain. We come here to rejoice that God is a God who is good and who saves and it's what he's been doing in our own lives. He saved us so that, Paul writes in verse 7, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life so that we might stand before him with his verdict of righteous stamped over our lives rather than the verdict of sinner and guilty and ashamed. So we would be confident that when Jesus returns, he will welcome us with open arms into his kingdom, that we would have the hope of eternal life. So this first Sunday of 2022, we need to remember God's kindness to us so that we will be empowered to live Christianly all year long. We need to be reminded that there is a reason to live gracious and merciful and good lives towards others that beats anything around us. And we need to hold on to this gospel truth tightly, unflinchingly, unashamedly, holding to it fast because it is our only hope. Look at the way that Paul says this in verse 8 in our last point, the center of Christian life. He says, the saying is trustworthy. All these things he's been saying, it's trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Look, I'm not a prophet. I'm not the son of a prophet, but let me tell you what's going to happen this year. What's going to happen this year is, is another Christian somewhere is going to write another book, right? Or another Christian somewhere is going to start another movement. Or another church somewhere is going to try to, to, to sell you on a particular strategy. And these things will all be focused on giving you another method, another way to have success and to have flourishing in your Christian lives. If you only follow this path, if you only do these things, if you only focus on these three obstacles, finally, it will all be okay and you'll have the flourishing life as Christians that you long for. But Paul says to Titus, I want you to insist on one thing, on these things. I want you to insist on the way that God saves us by his grace. I want you to insist on the reality that we were sinners and that God in his kindness and mercy has saved us because that and that alone ought to be the center of our Christian lives. Amazing grace. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. God saved a wretch like me. Again, we're, we're offended by that language. There's a lot of people who don't like the word wretch in amazing grace these days. But the point is that God loves and adores wretches in their sin. And he changes them and he makes them new. And there is no other truth that must be central in our lives because there is nothing else 
that can produce change in our lives like this gospel that we've been talking about this morning. Nothing can change your life but this truth. I want you to insist on these things for a reason, Paul says, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. You see what he's saying? The reason and the way and the power behind Christian lives in this world full of opposition is nothing else than knowing the goodness of God's grace to us in the gospel. It doesn't come any other way. And only when the good news of God's kindness fills us will be freed from the distractions that Paul writes about in verses 9 to 11. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. So Christ City, here's my New Year's prayer for us. My New Year's prayer for us is this. May we become people in 2022 who more and more praise God for his grace to us. Who more and more have our hearts opened to be changed by and filled up with the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. That we would more and more have these things so that more and more would become people who are passionate about good works. Passionate to do concrete good and justice and mercy and kindness to all those around us. So that God gets the glory. Jesus' name is praise. And we all grow together in maturity in Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess that we have hearts that are prone to being distracted. And Lord, we confess our need to have your Holy Spirit open our hearts to even receive the good news that we're talking about this morning. So I pray that your Holy Spirit would do that. And Holy Spirit, we're just so grateful that you do bring life. Thank you for bringing life. I pray that life would increase in this church in 2022 that we would become a beacon of light shining outward into Vancouver because we've been so changed by the grace and goodness and kindness of God to us. Would you fill our hearts with praise? Would you prepare us to respond now in Jesus' name? Amen.